All right, so 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. We'll read 12 to the end of the chapter and then go back and talk about each verse. Let no man despise thy youth. Be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Wonderful passage. Remember, this is Paul writing to Timothy, uh, his young disciple, who is now the pastor at Ephesus, the church at Ephesus. They had worked together and uh, served together, and Paul looked at Timothy like a son, certainly a son in the faith. He was not his natural son, and Timothy looked at the apostle Paul as his father in the faith. And so he's given him instruction, he's given him admonition and encouragement all through. And what, what's for Timothy is also for the body and for the believers as a whole. There are certain things that might stand out just for a pastor, but uh, let, let's look at this. Let, let no man, verse 12, despise thy youth. So what does he mean by that? At this time, Timothy, Bible scholars say he was probably between 30 and 35 years old. He's not a, not a little teenager, but uh, he, he's young, but he's not that young. And he's probably many in his church that he pastored over were, were older than him. Probably many of the leadership and the elders and, and servants within the church that were in leadership were older than him. And his not, the, the, the thought here about uh, let no man despise thy youth does not mean that there was necessarily a problem with this. Maybe there was. Maybe there were some that looked down on him in the church because he was younger than them. And we don't know that for sure, but we do know that Paul is, is exhorting him, don't let that be an issue is basically what he's saying. Don't let your age, uh, your natural age, be uh, a point of criticism. Don't let it be an issue. It should not be an issue. And also, we could, we could also say that you know, the flip side of this, Paul shouldn't think, I mean, Timothy shouldn't think of himself more highly than he ought to because he's young and maybe he's got some old or elderly people in his church as well. Uh, we, the, the point is that he, should, uh, he shouldn't let that be a point of criticism, a point of contention. The Lord had called him and he was anointed by the Lord and called by the Lord Timothy was fairly young, but not young in Christ. And I think this is the key to it. He was young, maybe com compared to the other people in his church, but he was not young in Christ. He was not a novice. We read in the scriptures in Acts and in 2 Timothy uh, that it was Paul's mother and grandmother that from a child he knew the scriptures. And Paul met him and, and brought him along in the Lord. But uh, so he was not a novice. Remember, we talked about qualifications for a bishop, um, uh, a bishop like an overseer, or a pastor could not be a novice. Don't select a novice. A novice was a beginner, someone that regardless of their age, they were immature in the Lord. They were new in Christ. Doesn't mean they couldn't serve God in some way, but they shouldn't be in certain positions uh, ministering over people 
until they had proved themselves. And Timothy was not a novice at all, and he, was all, he also had proved himself. His life in Christ doesn't mean he was perfect. He had been battle-tested. He was proven. And, uh, and so he was to live in such a way. It says, don't let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers. Example means a pattern or a model or a type. Okay? This is not just for Timothy, obviously. Every believer is to live in such a way that our life uh, our life would be representative of Christ and of Christianity and of the truth and befitting uh, of, a, of a holy God and a life that's been changed by that holy God. Our life ought to be an example or a pattern or a model that other people could follow. Do you agree with that? I would think it's very well taught in the scriptures that we're not, we're not spectators. You think, well, I'm just a so-and-so and I'm sitting back and I'm just soaking it all in and watching Every one of us that's born again is to live in such a way that our life is a model or a pattern, an example of what, what it is to, to know Christ, a life that's been changed by the Lord. And so uh, live in such a way that men have no legitimate accusation or criticism of your life. So just let that sink in. People can criticize you all they want. You have enemies. We have detractors. We have people that want to criticize, but live in such a way that men can bring no legitimate accusation against your life, that you really are living for God. If, there, if there's a bad stories going about around about you, let it be false, okay? There's rumors and gossip, and uh, you're being trashed and you're not christian you're not godly and you're not holy let that be false okay you can't stop that from happening but we can stop it from being true amen we can stop it from being true and so that's what we desire and, and then the rest is in it's all in god's hands you know your, your reputation in christ and my reputation in christ is in the lord's hands and so but be an example okay uh the Bible tells us that Christ was, is our example. I'll just read this from 1 Peter 2. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. Christ is ultimately our example, our pattern. And then we see Christ in you. We see Christ and people that are born of the Spirit, that same image being replicated and being worked in the lives of believers. I always say that a Christian here shouldn't be different than a Christian here. The same Christ that begat them and saved them and indwells them and instructs us by the same word lives in this believer and that believer and that believer. Some may be further along than others and newer in the faith or longer in the faith, but they shouldn't be different or other than each other. Okay, and so Christ is our example. And then Timothy, the pastor of the church at Ephesus, was to be the example or an example to the body over which he shepherded and pastored. And so he says, be thou an example of the believers. And then he lists six things in verse 12. Six things or six ways in which Timothy, or I would say believers, are to be an example of what it is to know Christ. So I'll just read them here and then we'll go back and talk about them. Be an example uh, of the believers in word, 
in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. So let's talk about these for just a moment. How can we be an example? How could Timothy be an example to his church um, in word? Word here has to do with this conversation. It has to do with this conversation, okay? His speech. And I would say that for all of us. Let your speech be befitting of Christ. Let your speech. The Bible talks a lot about the tongue. The Bible talks a lot about uh, things that are appropriate and not appropriate for a Christian. If we're governed by the, the Lord and governed by the Holy Spirit, that tongue can be bridled, not by us, but by the Holy Spirit. He can bridle that member and bridle that tongue. He's the only one who can. But we, the way we talk, of course, jesting and so forth, we need to uh, be led by the Lord. I want to read this. You can turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 12. So Jesus talks about our speech and the words that come out of our mouth. Just briefly, let's look at this in Matthew 12. We'll start reading in verse 34. Well, let's say in verse 33, Matthew 12, 33. Either make the tree good and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt. For the tree is known by his fruit. O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? So lost people that are lost and staying lost and in their lost condition, um, they're not going to be able to speak good things, not sincerely good things. For out of the abundance of the heart... The mouth speaketh. A good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. So our speech has to do with our heart. The Lord sees it and the Lord judges it. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. And so we're an example of Christ and of Christianity and this Savior through our speech. What does David say in the Psalms, Psalm 19? Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. My God, oh Lord, my God, and my Redeemer, right? So they have to be acceptable in God's eyes. So that's our speech. And our speech should be seasoned with salt, the Bible says. Our speech should be without hypocrisy. Our speech should be edifying to those that we're speaking to. Build them up in some way, okay, in some way uh, glorifying God, not ungodly. So second of all, be, be an example back in, in verse 12. Be an example in word and in conversation. Conversation here has to do with lifestyle or conduct. Just like it is written, as he which is called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. That is our behavior, lifestyle, conduct. And so one's entire demeanor, I guess you could say, everything about their life is to be an example of Christ. Nothing in Timothy's life, nor in your life or mine, should bring reproach to Christ. Nothing. Nothing in our lives. Coming in with a bad attitude, coming in, well, I didn't say anything, yeah, but it was all over your face. You know, just came in in a sour mood, right? We've done that before. We need to ask God to forgive us. Everything about our life is it's not a fake, but it needs to be godly. It needs to be befitting the Lord, okay? Uh, the thirdly, be an example, he says, in, in love, okay? In word and conversation, in charity, which is the word for love. 
You know the first and second commandments, right? Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind, and your neighbor as yourself. It really is the very essence of Christianity. Love is the essence of Christianity, and it should be our motive for all that we do. If I'm going to be holy in my conversation and word and conduct, it needs to be motivated by a love for God and a love for others. Amen? And so next he says, in spirit, be an example in spirit. This is not actually here the Holy Spirit. This is like in your spirit. It has to do, when I looked it up, be an example to the flock or to the, of believers and to the believers in your, your spirit. It means enthusiasm. There, has, there should be a holy zeal and a holy fire in what we do. The Bible tells us that over and over again. In Colossians, whatsoever you, you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord, right? Whatever you find to put your hands to, that God has led you to put your hands to it, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not as unto men. There should be a holy, again, it's not fake. It's not a pep rally. There should be a genuine in our spirit excitement about knowing God, serving God. If I'm going to, the, to church tonight, I need to go to church glad that I'm going to church. If I'm going to, to Williamsburg, the third Sunday of the month, I need to go saying, oh, I can't wait to get this over and hopefully get a quick nap. We need to go with an, with an enthusiasm in what we're doing. And I, that is what he's talking about here. And, and honestly, uh, it's, a, it's an example we've probably all heard a million times, but the enthusiasm, and I'm guilty of it as well, behind, uh, cheering for a ball game, where you'll, you'll watch for four hours straight and cheer for four hours straight and the emotions are over the top and you, your team makes a good play and you're high-fiving everybody and then we come to church or we, we drag into church or we drag into whatever it is in our service for the Lord. It ought not be that way. There should be an enthusiasm. How many of you know that we can be, as believers, enthusiastic about serving God and still be in order? Doesn't mean we're out of order. Doesn't mean we're chaotic or governed by our emotions. It means those, those emotions are sanctified and those emotions are befitting. If, if he is such a great God, which we're singing about, then I ought to sing as though he's a great God. How great is our God? That's simply what he's saying. Be an example in, your, in spirit, okay? In spirit. And it has to do there with enthusiasm. I just want to read this. Jesus was talking in John chapter 5 about John the Baptist, who had already been martyred by this time. And he was talking about John the Baptist, and he says he was a burning and shining light. There's something about John the Baptist's life that is really uh, uh, amazing to me. It's attractive to me, the, the way this, it's an example to me, the way that this man lived. He was all in. He was all in he was consumed with that one task of making known the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, preparing men's heart for that. He was the forerunner of Christ. He died young. He died before Jesus died. He died young. And, but he, the Bible, Jesus said he was a burning and shining light. And that is a good description of John the Baptist. Among other things, he was holy. He was zealous for the Lord. But that spirit... Yes, it was the Holy Spirit, no doubt about it, but his spirit was given over to the Holy Spirit. And then our spirit should be given over to the Holy Spirit. And then he says, uh, so in love, in spirit, 
in faith. But here actually faith is actually in the Greek word is faithfulness. Faithfulness. Be an example in your faithfulness. Okay? And so uh, we, we don't even have to really get into that. Be faithful to what God's called you to do. And then last he says impurity. Purity here is, is a holiness, being blameless again, consecrated Christian living. Blameless, consecrated Christian living in our acts, in our motives, in our speech, being set apart unto the Lord. Okay? And I'll just summarize this. Young or old, we talked about Timothy's age. Let natural despise your youth. Same for, for all of us, okay? Young or old, your natural age is not, nor should it be, a handicap to serving God. Young or old, your natural age should not be a handicap to serving the Lord. Certainly there's things that somebody is very old and not healthy and strong that they're not able to do that maybe a younger person could do. But they still can serve the Lord. They can serve Him fully in whatever season of life they happen to be in. So don't let your age, young or old, handicap you or look at it as a handicap. Live in such a way that others see Christ in you. Okay? So let's keep moving. Verse 13, till I come, give attendance to these things. Till I come, it's obvious that Paul intended to visit Ephesus again. Okay? He intended to visit Ephesus again. If you read through the book of Romans, you see very much that he intended to go to Rome to visit the the. Uh, the believers there, not in prison, but to, to go visit them. Well, I don't know that he actually ever made it back to Ephesus, but he says, till I come, he intended to come. He says, give attendance to these things, to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. I believe the order of this is also important. Give attendance, or he means pay attention to these things. Give heed to these things, all right? Give attendance to these or pay attention. What are the three things? It's not, I don't believe, again, it's just for Timothy. He says, give attendance to reading. And I thought this was interesting, reading. What is he talking about reading? He's talking about reading God's word publicly. That's the Greek word. It's not just when you go sit and every morning you wake up and you read the Bible or before you go to bed or you're, whenever you read the Bible. This had to do with the public reading of the scriptures. Give attendance to that. Make sure as a pastor, as an under-shepherd, under the great shepherd, that you, give, you publicly read the scriptures, the word of God. Okay? Think about this. That everybody in that church, every believer that was in churches at these times, did not have a copy of the scriptures. Every individual did not have a copy of what was written up to that point from the scriptures. And so it was very important that, that Timothy or any pastor publicly read the Bible, what was, that, what was completed of the Bible at that time. It has to do with the systematic, systematic reading of the scriptures. Not just I'll close my eyes and flop the Bible open wherever it falls to. We're going to read through John's. Well, John, they probably didn't have John at that time. We're going to read through Isaiah. We're going to read through Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And they would read through it however God directed them. But it was a systematic reading of the scriptures. We know that when Jesus returned after his temptation in the wilderness, he returned to the power of the Spirit, and he went into the synagogue there 
a local synagogue, and it was his manner to do this. They handed him the scriptures, and he read from Isaiah, publicly read. We see this. Uh, it was typical to open the Bible and read it, read from the scriptures. And I love this. I'm going to read a little bit. Uh, Ezra read from the scriptures from early in the morning till noon on one occasion. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Nehemiah. Nehemiah. So this is, this is after the captivity, the 70-year 70, 70 captivity in Babylon. And the Jews, as God had promised, mightily caused them to find favor with the kings of Persia. And they were released and brought out. And, and they were back in the, their native land, in the homeland. And the temple was rebuilt and the walls were rebuilt around the city of Jerusalem. And the, the priesthood needed to be restored. There was a lot of sin, a lot of ungodliness, even within the priesthood, that had to be repented of, had to be dealt with before they could start ministering in the priesthood in the fashion that they should. So just read with me in Nehemiah 8, we're beginning in verse 3. And he read therein before the street, that was before the water gate, from the morning until midday, before the men and the women and those that could understand. And the ears of all the people were attending unto the books of the law. And Ezra the, the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood, which they had made for that purpose. And beside him stood, and he lists these other, others that were in leadership and, and the priesthood and so forth on his right hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight, verse 5, of all the people, for he was above all the people physically, okay, on his pulpit. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. So this is actually what's being talked about. Not that that same scene had to be repeated by Timothy. He says, till I come, give attendance to reading. Reading the scriptures publicly. Causing people to hear. Causing them to listen. Uh, and be attentive to the word of God. His word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Jesus told his disciples, now you are clean through the word which I have spoken to you. You're clean by the word which I've spoken to you. So, and, the, and he goes to exhortation. So give attendance to reading, publicly reading the scriptures, to exhortation. That is simply an encouragement, encouraging people by God's word. Not just saying, uh, again, like pep talks and pep rallies. God's word is designed for that. God's word is enabled to do that. We are to speak God's word. It doesn't have to be verbatim. I think we can paraphrase and so forth and say that God is faithful and so forth. But the scriptures are designed by the Lord and empowered by the Lord. It's the living word. And God's word is exhorts people. God's word exhorts his people. If we're starved for the word of God or neglecting the word of God of our own choice, we're going to be starving that inner man. We're not going to be encouraged and exhorted to live for God. This world certainly is not going to encourage you and exhort you to go on in Christ. The world's not going to do it. Your own humanity and your own spirit within you is not going to encourage you. Your carnal nature is not going to encourage you. Christ is. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So God's words to, to men, to all of us, are to instruct and they challenge and they comfort and they guide and rebuke and strengthen and feed that inner man. 
So a good minister of God is going to exhort God's people from the word of God. From the word of God. That's where men are to be exhorted. And lastly, he says doctrine. So give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. And I think these build. We hear the word read, we're encouraged by the word, and we come to learn the doctrine and know it and walk in it ourselves. You have to hear the word. You have to uh, be encouraged and exhorted. This is God's word and provoked unto love and good works from the word of God. And then we come to know sound doctrine, to hold to it, to have it, and to walk in it ourselves and to be able to teach it to others. So doctrine, we talk about it. Doctrine is simply uh, teaching. It's, it's, that's all the word means is teaching. It's what we believe. And so a preacher of the gospel is to preach and teach doctrine to believers. I've heard it many, several times in my life. You'll hear it by people that claim to know Christ and claim to be Christian. I'm not going to say they are or aren't Christians. That's The Lord will be their judge on that. But you'll hear statements like, oh, you're the doctrine police and doctrine divides. And there's a mocking to it because we study doctrine. We care about doctrine. Oh, God's just a God of love. He doesn't care about any of that stuff. Well, he gave it. Jesus even said, my doctrine is not my own, but my father's. And so it's not for us to dismiss it or change it or pervert it or ignore it. It is ours to study and hold to and believe. You can put all kinds of, man can put all kinds of labels and criticize that we're just legalistic and doctrine police and all these type of things but God tells us to hold to it to study it to believe it sound doctrine right doctrine okay to preach and teach it that is not designed from the pastor's point of view nor God's point of view when the pastor preaches doctrine and teaches doctrine to to uh, create some type of loyalty to the pastor but it's designed to create a loyalty to God, okay, loyalty to the Lord, to Christ. It's his doctrine. And uh, Oliver B. Green said this, when it comes to pure, down-to-earth Bible doctrine, the average church member is woefully ignorant. I don't just think he's, you know, in a soapbox just making up a bunch of stuff. I, I believe that. I believe that as well. The average church member, I'm not saying at Cornerstone, I pray you're not. The average church member in the churches across the U.S. and across the world are woefully ignorant of doctrine. They don't know what the Bible teaches. They don't know what they believe themselves. They don't know what they should believe according to the word of God. They don't know what they, sh they should hold to. And when something false comes or half-truth comes, they kind of believe that. And if the speaker's real charismatic and, and has that kind of personality, then they believe that, what he said. We need to know the Bible. Give, give attendance to, pay attention, Timothy, to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. One more verse from Nehemiah. This, is, this follows up what we were just reading. So they read in the book in the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. I love that. They didn't just read the word of God from morning until midday. And when they read, everybody stood up. They're just reading it. But also, it says they read it distinctly and clearly, I guess, 
and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. This is what God's saying. This is what God's saying right here when he says that the priesthood is not to be polluted. This is what he means. This is what he said in the law when he said not to marry those that give your sons or your daughters to marry those for these neighboring paganistic countries. Here's why. So he calls them, he read it, and then he calls them to understand it and make the meaning of it clear. Amen. This is, this is part of church life, a huge part of church life. The, the reason that people, for the most part, can't say I'm 100%, for the most part, the reason that people in churches are woefully ignorant of sound doctrine is the blame lies primarily with the pastors. Primarily, not solely, but primarily with the pastors. Pastors must lead the flock to green pastures to eat. They, we, we, the pastor is to lead the, the congregation, the members of God's church, is his church, to the Lord, to Christ, to feast upon Christ and feast upon his word. That pastor has that responsibility. Not a bunch of fables and, and tall tales and the latest greatest thing to come uh, into the Christian bookstore or whatever in the sound doctrine, in the word of God. Amen? Let's keep going just a little bit more. Verse 14. Neglect, we'll, we'll probably close with this one. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Okay? No man or woman is to neglect the things of God. Neglecting what God has given us is sinful. If God has given you something, and he's given us all something, he's given us eternal life, we could go on and on. He's given us grace. He's given us uh, his Holy Spirit within us. If you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, you have the gift of the Holy Ghost. Whatever it is, don't neglect the things that are given to you. Timothy was, again, an overseer. That's what a, an elder is. Overseer, a pastor, it's the same word. He was an overseer and an under-shepherd. He was under the Lord, under the great shepherd. And so he had been given something. Uh, he was a shepherd of God's people, and with that comes great responsibility. It's not ever something to be taken lightly or gone into lightly. To ever say, I'm going to pastor, or I'm going to minister over people in some way. It has to be the calling of the Lord, and with great fear and trembling. But he was faithful to it, to do it. And so he didn't neglect, uh, he didn't neglect what was given. Timothy had proved himself faithful, but he was to be faithful to what he was called to do. Uh, he had received this gifting or this anointing or this calling from God. That's what he says here. The gift which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on the hands of the presbytery. The presbytery themselves were godly men and people. They themselves had been called. They were praying people. They were spiritual and spiritually minded people. And they discerned or sensed from the Lord the calling of God upon Timothy's life. They all said, yea, we see it. We agree. They knew it was the Lord. And they laid their hands. The, the laying on of hands we see in scriptures. We're not going to spend too much time on it. But it is an outward symbol. I think it's a very important one. But it is an outward symbol of the conveying of the of that gift and the reception of the gift from the Lord, whatever it is. 
if somebody in this church, and I pray, uh, I pray it, believe me, somebody in this church will be raised up to be a pastor or a missionary, and we, as a church at Cornerstone, we are going to send them out. They're not just going out on their own. They're going out from this body. We want to send them out. We would pray for them. We would know it's the Lord. We would put our hands upon them. I don't think physically there's anything about the hand, but it is symbolic, but it's an important symbol of conveying that gift from, from the Lord into the individual. Lay hands on no man suddenly, that we don't just jump into participating in their ministry when we don't know what they're all about or their testimony for the Lord. Lay hands on no man suddenly. That's what that's referring to. It's important, the laying on of hands. We see uh, many times, especially in the book of Acts, we see where the baptism of the Holy Spirit was received uh, by the laying on of hands. When John and, and James came down to Samaria, Philip had been preaching the gospel there. Many were saved, baptized in water. They believed they were actually born again. Miracles were taking place. And Peter, I mean, John, Peter and John, I'm sorry, Peter and John heard about it. They went down to Samaria. They laid their hands on the new believers that were there, and they received the baptism in the Holy Spirit at that time. And so don't neglect this gift that was given to you. Uh, I'll just read this. It's almost identical. This is Paul and Barnabas in the church in Antioch in Acts 13. And when they had fasted, the whole church, this picture cornerstone, were praying and fasting. When they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. The Lord said as they were praying and fasting, the Holy Ghost said, separate unto me Barnabas and Paul for the work that I've called them to do. That's an important scripture. You want to talk about doctrine? We ought to highlight that one in our Bible. How do these things work? I think that's how it works. It doesn't just work by vote. Oh, six to four, six, you know, six nays and four, six yeas and four nays. You got in. You're going to be a pastor now. You're going to be a missionary. That is not the way that we see it biblically. They prayed and fasted. And as they prayed and fasted, the, the Holy Ghost said to who? I think he said it to the whole body, certainly to the pastor. But as they prayed and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate unto me. And all, the Lord also said it to Barnabas and Paul. Everybody knew. There was no confusion. I've got a special call upon their lives, and they agreed. This is the Lord. No, nobody, there wasn't a vote. They all knew it was God because they were spiritual people, and they heard from the Lord. And then they laid their hands on them and sent them away for the specific ministry that God had called them to. Amen? And so um, the calling, the gifting is from the Lord. The presbytery represented, they were the elders. They were, should have been the ones to do that. They're not insignificant in the picture. That's the ones that should have been laying hands and praying over Timothy. But don't neglect this gift. What the gift is, we're not sure. It could have probably, in this case, I believe it was his call to minister, his call to pastor and minister. Uh, in, in 2 Timothy, it speaks about uh, the, the gift that was given. I'll read it real quickly. Wherefore I put I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. So that I believe we don't know for sure. I believe in Second Timothy he's talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But regardless, regardless, 
uh, it was something that was conveyed from, from the Lord to Timothy, and he is not to neglect that. Don't neglect and, and say to you, and we'll just close with this, so you can come on up, but when God has, what he has bestowed upon us, I believe he's talking about spiritual gifts and giftings and callings and anointings of the Lord. We are not to neglect those things. They're not to lie dormant because we're busy doing something else or we don't like it or we're not interested in it. We are not to neglect the gifts that are given. I think it also is teaching doctrine and the order that's from God, speaking to a church body and to leadership and them hearing through prayer and fasting and then conveying that upon whoever the recipient is. It's not just a vote. Not against voting. I just don't see it. I don't really see it in the Bible, you know, the way that, especially for things like that in the calling. So I'm just going to close with that tonight. Y'all will pick up, we'll finish chapter, uh, Lord willing, we'll finish chapter four next week. But y'all stand with me tonight.